This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. Once the funeral started is when the trouble started because of the irreverence and the disrespect of the big crowd that was there. That is, it was very, very sad. And uh, again, I applaud our priests who made a quick decision that, uh-oh, with behavior like this, we can't do a Mass. That is Archbishop of New York, Cardinal Timothy Dolan, speaking on the Catholic Channel about a funeral service at St. Patrick's Cathedral for a transgender activist. So why does the New York Times seem blissfully unaware that this probably would be a problem, not only for the Cardinal, but also for traditional Catholics in New York? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the National On Religion column for the Andrews McMill Universal Syndicate, and for two decades he led the GetReligion.org website. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So which is the bigger surprise, that no one at St. Patrick's Cathedral knew this was a controversial New Yorker, or that the New York Times didn't anticipate how traditional Catholics would respond to a funeral service for a transgender activist? Well, those are both important questions, but let's deal with the first one. Personally, I think it's highly unlikely that no one inside the cathedral knew who this was and knew certain things. I mean, this performer had done a Broadway show, I believe it was Broadway, not off-Broadway, a Broadway show that included statements of devout atheism, et cetera, et cetera. I, I I find it very hard to believe that, that there is a cathedral-sized staff in New York City in which there isn't kind of a division of, of opinions among some of the clergy or leaders over to handle a situation like this. I will say this, and here is a fact that we really should have been told. It would be good to know how many funerals a day are held in St. Patrick's. I listened to an excellent commentary by a friend of mine, a Catholic priest named Father Joe Krupp, who online is known to thousands of readers and stuff as Joe in Black, which I think is a great handle for Twitter slash X. But he made an interesting point. He said he wouldn't be at all surprised if that cathedral was the site of numerous funerals per day when you throw in the funerals and the weddings, and that we really don't find out anything in this New York Times story or in the rest of the mainstream press about this event, we don't really find out much about what the process was to stage this event. Now, the one thing that people on both sides agree with totally is that in the primary interview with a priest at the cathedral to set this up, that the people organizing the service hid factual material or outright lied, one or the other. I mean, I don't think a funeral would have been held for an atheist who had done a Broadway show celebrating atheism. And then you have the the sex worker, et cetera, et cetera. Then you get down into other interesting questions about 
the right itself. And the quote you played brings up a really interesting question. If there was collusion, shall we say, between some people in the Catholic structures of power in New York and the people who planned this, if anybody did cooperate with this, who do you think is going to care enough to dig out that information, Cardinal Dolan or the New York Times? Well, I think probably Cardinal Dolan. And Cardinal Dolan is going to take his time and be very careful. And then I predict Cardinal Dolan isn't going to announce what he finds. And that's proper for a Catholic bishop, you know, when dealing with this type of a discipline situation. I mean, I don't think he's going to call a press conference and announce the results. But I will say this. There are several crucial facts about liturgy that should have been brought up in the main story or in the follow-up in the press. The fact that they came back two days later with an unannounced, so it wouldn't turn into a press event, they did a massive reparation for the cathedral. And I've spent some time this afternoon looking for a text of a massive reparation and found out that this is actually a pretty interesting situation. You could have a mass of reparation against the Eucharist itself. But like the Cardinal said, when it became apparent, when that crowd marched into the, into the cathedral, someone very quickly made a decision that this was not going to be a mass. Now, apparently there's a video of the whole service out there somewhere. I haven't seen it. But someone noted that the priest at the start of the service is dressed in a chasuble for a mass, not for a liturgy of prayers outside of a mass. And so they started the service thinking this was going to be a funeral mass. But very quickly, someone walks over to the priest, whose microphone was on, by the way, and says, this isn't going to be a mass. They were not going to get into a situation where they had the potential of who gets communion and who doesn't. And they were not going to have a situation of a desecration of a sacrament. That was not going to happen. So I would be really interested in knowing what kind of service it was. In Brooklyn, not that long ago, they did a massive reparation for a church in which someone had allowed the sanctuary to be used for a music video that was certainly racy, if, if not vile. And the way the coverage of that, the wording was that this was considered an attack on the church. And they did a massive reparation for that as if outsiders had come in and had attacked the sanctuary, had attacked the building, had attacked a holy place. And in a Catholic church, there would, of course, have been sacraments in storage there. There would have been reserved sacrament. I think that's the term in Catholicism. I know that's the term for the Orthodox. But there would have been reserved sacrament present in a tabernacle nearby. So either way, you would have some degree a desecration of the sacrament or an offense against the sacrament, not a desecration of. A desecration is what they prevented by canceling the Mass. And could you have imagined the media show 
if this had been a mass in terms of people approaching to receive Holy Communion, etc. The other points I will make is the famous gay activist priest, Father James Martin, much honored by the Vatican for his roles, etc., he apparently was invited to preach in this service and was out of town. He was praising the cathedral's decision to allow a service to be held. He was not praising what then happened in the service. But people knew this was coming. Somebody knew this was coming. And somebody, sure as blazes, as we might say in Texas, are stronger language, somebody knew to invite the New York Times photographers and to invite the press because there are copyrighted New York Times photographs in the service. So the, the Times knew, a famous a gay activist priest knew that a service had been approved for this particular person. So I hope the Cardinal diligence on that and I don't know whether I want press coverage of that or not, but it's important that somebody find out exactly what happened in the approval of the service. So would it have been worth it just to have a brief paragraph about how this got approved in the first place? Well, yes. In other words, one or two sentences on what the normal procedure is. And if the public was told that on an average four funerals a day are held in this cathedral, I think someone would get the understanding that that's a lot of paperwork and that's probably different priests on the staff going through this process, probably solo, you know, without a lot of backing from other people. I think that would have helped explain the potential for confusion around this. Some of the other questions about the service that I think is important, and this, once again, I want to give credit where credit is due. Father Joe Krupp's commentary mentions this. He has decided that in his church and in this area, he does not allow eulogies. And he, he tells a story in his commentary about where he had an agreement that some people were not going to sing and perform a particular Jimmy Buffett song or somebody's song about a rowdy nature and getting drunk and all this other stuff. And he felt they had an agreement. And then in one of the eulogies, somebody said, well, you know, my friend's favorite song was this and held up his phone and played the whole song over the microphone. Now, he thinks you need to have a policy that takes very seriously whether you're going to hand the microphone to friends and families to say whatever in the world they want to say. And some of the press coverage, and we really needed to know more about this, mentioned that there apparently were not just eulogies, plural, but there were also chances for friends of the dead to actually do their own versions of prayers, at which point you had a prayer in the cathedral giving thanksgiving for gender-affirming care, you know, for children and others who want to become trans, since the, the person for the funeral was an atheist and was trans, and a sex worker, and et cetera, et cetera. So you had windows of opportunity in this service where people were allowed to approach microphones in one of America's best-known cathedrals with no control over it. So this, this comes to another issue, which I think 
the Times should have been smart enough to have anticipated, and that is that there would be traditional Catholics who simply believed that the service should have been stopped, that once it became apparent what was happening, the service should have just been shut down, not just edited to remove the sacrament, but just stopped. And Father, once again, credit where credit is due, Father Joe makes a very interesting comment about that. He said, try to imagine that scene in a city where you can get arrested for quietly praying the rosary 50 yards from a Planned Parenthood facility. But there have been numerous cases in which church services were interrupted and horrible things were done, as in the case of this service. He said, who do you think the police, civic authorities, and the press would have favored in that conflict? So did the priest make the right decision not to stop the service? That's an interesting question. Once again, that's something the Cardinal is going to look into, and I imagine the New York Times would not. But if they had tried to stop the service and asked police to remove 1,000 people from that sanctuary, I think it's pretty easy to imagine the media furor and the public furor over that action. Let me put it this way. Try to imagine if traditional Catholics interrupted, even with sacred prayer, incense, and maybe a procession with candles, if traditional Catholics interrupted a Pride's Day Mass in one of the 12 liberal Catholic churches of the city, what kind of coverage do you think that would draw? I don't think the trads would come off looking very good in that situation, and the police might have intervened to help stop them. But do you think the New York police would have intervened to stop this service. I can't imagine it. What did you make of the uh, coverage by the Washington Times? Well, the Washington Times did a good job a day or so kind of listing the key facts. And it's a good thing to look at it and compare it to the New York Times. I mean, the New York Times story has a phrase that I guess that my reference then, try to imagine the New York Times using this kind of language if traditional Catholics had interrupted a pride mass in the city. The lead for this service, the pews of St. Patrick's Cathedral were packed out Thursday for an event with no likely precedent in Catholic history. The funeral of Cecilia Gentili, a transgender activist and actress, former sex worker and self-professed atheist whose memorial functioned, here's the key phrase, functioned as both a celebration of her life and exuberant piece of political theater. Now, first of all, if you know anything about a Catholic funeral, a Catholic funeral is not a celebration of a person's life. A Catholic funeral is a celebration of the work of Jesus Christ and that there is no hope for a life to come without that. So I think an interesting thing to have done if you had a reporter who wasn't the reporter designated for covering culture and politics, if you had a religion reporter maybe covering this event, which they knew about in advance, I assume, 
it would have been interesting to quote the actual prayers that were said during the service by the clergy, contrast those prayers with the words spoken in kind of prayers of the people and the eulogies. At least a couple of paragraphs contrasting that language would have certainly have been interesting and I would argue totally relevant. So, Terry, what did you make of the kind of intra-Catholic reaction to this? Well, quite frankly, it was quite politicized. We live in an age in which the Roman Catholic Church is now fiercely divided on what is the proper way to respond to the statements and the actions and the symbolism and everything of the sexual revolution. As I just said before, you have to stop and think about this. A Fordham University Jesuit, who is internationally known as an advocate for LGBTQ plus ministry, and who has been praised face-to-face -face and in writing by the current pope for that role in the church, he was invited to preach at this service. That says a lot right there. I mean, so, as you would expect, there was fire and brimstone from the Catholic right. And some of it assumed outright that there was cathedral involvement in the service. And I don't think at this point that has been proven. There, there are lots of interesting questions. For example, the New York Times story noted that this is a part of the pre-service activity, that mass cards were held out. Now, I don't know who prepares mass cards, whether that had to be printed by the cathedral or for a funeral. Is a family allowed to bring in its own cards that are handed out as kind of mementos and symbolism of having attempted this particular funeral? But mass cards for this particular funeral showed Cecilia Gentili with a halo, a symbol of being a saint, surrounded by the Spanish words for transvestite, whore, blessed, and mother, then with the text of Psalm 23. And there was even a large picture of that image from the mass card near the altar. Now, once again, what does the word near mean? Does that mean inside the altar rail or outside the altar rail? But it certainly means, I assume, that the picture was put there before the service and that someone from the cathedral involved in the service had to have seen it and had to have seen the mass card. Now, once again, I want to confess my ignorance. I don't know if anyone from the cathedral would have been in the process of creating or approving the mass card that was handed out. I don't know. But doesn't that sound like a good question to ask? And a lot of Catholics assumed, I believe, that what we have here is another victory by the Catholic left. And I think, based on their comments later, including those by Father James Martin, who was very apologetic about what happened in the service, although he had praised the decision to allow the service, and there's a distinction there, I think the Catholic left was embarrassed by what happened and some of the visuals that came out of the service, such as the liturgical dancing 
in the center aisle of the cathedral around the coffin while singing the Ave Maria instead of Ave Maria, Ave Cecilia. Some wild stuff. I don't know how you write that story without knowing more about the process to create a Catholic funeral and what was or wasn't approved during it. Oh, then, of course, you had, and the archdiocese said this, you had reaction that was appropriate. You had protest of the service that was appropriate. But then you had lots of very wild things and accusations being thrown around on the Internet. And I'm sure that's shocking to anyone who follows the Catholic Internet to know that people on both sides were throwing things around like that. The statement from the archdiocese is actually interesting in the language that it uses. It said, thanks to so many who have let us know they share our outrage over the scandalous behavior at a funeral here at St. Patrick's Cathedral earlier this week. The cathedral only knew that family and friends were requesting a funeral mass for a Catholic and had no idea our welcome and prayer would be degraded in such a sacrilegious and deceptive way. That such a scandal occurred at America's parish church makes it worse. That it took place as Lent was beginning, the annual 40-day struggle with the forces of sin and darkness is a potent reminder of how much we need prayer, reparation, repentance, grace, and mercy to which this holy season invites us. At the Cardinal's directive, we have offered an appropriate mass of reparation. Notice that's past tense. So they did that mass of reparation either before the statement came out on Saturday or they did it on Friday, the very next day. I would say the Cardinal's office didn't let a whole lot of water go under the bridge before taking some sort of action. Did the media coverage adequately explain the significance, and it is a pretty significant right, the mass of reparation? No. I mean, the New York Times did a follow-up story that mentioned it. But by no means was it really stressed what this service meant and, and kind of what the archdiocese was saying by having such a service held so quickly. So I'm looking at the second story right now. It's just a condemned a funeral, etc. The funeral which drew over, it goes down. The service on Thursday was an event, most likely. It repeated a lot of the earlier story. It mentioned something from a eulogy which social media was carrying parts of the eulogy. It had liberals saying that this was a good thing, even if it turned out bad in the end. It had a quote, finally, from a conservative Catholic group, like seven, eight paragraphs in, you know, with a quick paragraph. And then it had the statement from the archdiocese. And we still, at this point, don't have any content or mention of the reparation service. So I would say that they had no idea the significance of the reparation service and didn't kind of know theologically what that was saying. I mean, this is not the reconsecration of the altar and the reconsecration of the cathedral. It's prayers of reparation after what the church viewed as an attack on the cathedral. I'd say you've got more material in that follow-up story on how offended the family and the gay community was than you got about the actual content of the reparation service. If a reporter is honest and 
you know, understands the context of this entire story, they have to be saying to themselves, this isn't the last time they're going to try this. This one slipped under the wire, but this is likely to produce copycat attempts in other big Catholic venues. Yes, possibly. New York City is New York City, however, but you could make a case of whether something like this could happen in San Francisco, a very symbolic city in gay culture, but with a very, very conservative cardinal and one of the most outspoken cardinals on sexual revolution issues in the national church. So you wouldn't be at all surprised if something happened in California, for example. But I think what people are waiting for now is whether the Catholic left has kind of reined in attempts to publicize what has happened in light of the approval for prayers of blessing being said for couples outside the normal Catholic standards of marriage, whether that's people who are living together, whether that's people who were divorced outside the church, whether that's gay couples or whatever. I thought by this point we would be pretty much flooded with media coverage of such thing. And I think there's a distinct possibility that the Catholic left kind of doesn't want to dance on that grave at this point. So that's what I would look for, specifically whether there are going to be attempts to embarrass Catholic clergy who decline. But at the same time, the Vatican's having to respond with the fact that the prayers for unusual relationships, let's just put it a broader term, that has turned into a zip code thing for Catholics around the world. And to say that I mean, there are bishops, archbishops, and even cardinals in Africa and in more conservative parts of the world that have just outright said, this will not occur in my churches. This is not going to happen. So I think to some degree, to some degree, I'm talking ahead of the game or I'm predicting things that there's no way to know for sure, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if the response from the Catholic left is to actually back off a bit and maybe not go for the throat on this type of activity. Could it also spark some stories about one of these, I think it may have been the New York Times or the or the Washington Times had a section saying that, you know, there are several essentially gay-forming or welcoming parishes in the greater New York area. Should someone send a reporter to go talk to those priests? Well, and those churches get their share of coverage. But during the last year or two of Get Religion, our Catholic beat specialist, Clemente Lisi, who now leads the Religion Unplugged website, Clemente and I have had many discussions about that we thought there would be more celebration on the Catholic left over the kinds of things that have been done in Germany and elsewhere in the European Union and in some parts of the Catholic left here in America. And I think it's pretty hard to look at the coverage and say that the left has been seeking attention for these changes. I think to some degree they're just quietly celebrating and letting the Vatican kind of guide a slow process towards some degree of modernization and from their point of view of the church's teachings or pastoral care 
maybe not change the teachings, but change the pastoral care strategies in the church. Look at it this way. If the New York Times did a front page story about what's going on in the liberal Catholic churches of New York City, do you think that would be in the interest of those parishes? I kind of think not. It's not in their interest, and that might be why you haven't seen it in the pages of the New York Times. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the National On Religion column for the Andrews McMeal Universal Syndicate, and for two decades he led the GetReligion.org website. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Mm-hmm.